You're listening to The Eye of the Storm. I'm your host, Taye Sherrod. It was the week before Christmas, and I got a duty call that there was a theft in the Park Village Apartments at the University of Dubuque, where I was in my second year as a hall director there. Um, And so when I got that call, I got in my car and took the short drive down to Park Village from where I was in Donnell Residence Hall and went upstairs to talk to security to see what had happened. And when I got upstairs, they proceeded to inform me um, that it wasn't just a theft, it was an armed robbery, and that the students who were involved were held up at gunpoint. Um, needless to say, I was not thrilled to get this news um, in this way because I had left my on-campus apartment and those students could have been anywhere and I could have run into them at any point with a gun in tow. Um, and so for them not to have told me that this was an armed robbery when they initially called me did not sit well with me. But nonetheless, here we were. Um, And once I had a minute to process and get past that, the fear of God was in me because I thought to myself, oh, shit, are there any dead students in this room? Um, And so I walk in and I see that, thank, thank the Lord, all of my students are alive and breathing. That was number one. Um, And as I began to calm down a little bit and, and, get my heart rate, you know, back in, in line, I realized I wasn't quite out of the woods yet. Because um, at the end of the day, there was still a gun somewhere on campus. And there was a student who had it. And we didn't know where it was. We didn't know where it was headed. We didn't know if someone was next. And if I would get a call a few minutes later from somebody saying that a student on campus has been shot. Now, if you know anything about serving in an on-call rotation in higher education, particularly in residence life, you know that the one thing that's going to keep you up at night, that, that keeps anybody who does that job up at night, is getting a phone call that a student has died on campus on your watch. That is the absolute most terrifying thing that can happen to someone who frankly is starting out in their career in higher education because serving as a hall director or community director as they're oftentimes called is an entry level role into student affairs. Um, Luckily for me, again, I didn't have any dead students, thank God. Um, And every time I think about this situation, I have a huge sigh of relief and I'm so thankful and know how lucky I was to be spared having to deal with that type of tragedy. Uh, But nonetheless, the work was still there. Um, And despite my own concerns, despite my own fears about what could happen, I had to get my head together. I had to start thinking critically and quickly in order to figure out where the threat was and to deal with it as soon as possible. And so we started by talking to the students who were in the room who were held up at gunpoint. The student who was the direct target of the attack mentioned that he had invited a friend over um, and was expecting that friend. And when he opened the door, there was a gun being pointed in his face and several individuals took his uh, money in addition to some other things of his uh, personal belongings and and ran off. 
as we talk to the student and talk to the other students in the suite about what they saw, what they heard, what they witnessed, it became clear that there were other students around campus who we needed to talk to to try to figure out where the culprits who actually engaged in this armed robbery actually were. And so our investigation took us down to another residence hall um, called Clappity. It was one of the newer residence halls at the University of Dubuque at the time. And I remember going, you know, talking to one of the students who, you know, our investigation led us there um, and talking with him, trying to get more information and see what he knew and could he point us into the direction of this student who held up, you know, an, an upperclassman at gunpoint. Uh, we talked to that student, got more information, and that eventually led us over to Aitchison Residence Hall, which is a first-year residence hall that houses freshmen. So we get over there, and at this point, we were pretty sure that this was the student who was responsible, that this was the student who was in, actually actively involved in the armed robbery that had taken place earlier in the night. And so we knocked on the door. The student did answer, and I distinctly remember that as he answered the door, the smell of marijuana just hit me in the face like no other, because um, him and his friend were in there. They were smoking. They were getting high, and I told him, I said, you know, we need to talk to you. It's quite serious what we need to discuss, and like most students who are approached by, well, obviously law enforcement or someone who has authority on a college campus in the way that I did at the time, they didn't really want to cooperate. They didn't really want to talk to us all that much, um, especially because they were smoking marijuana in the room. And that in and of itself was a policy violation um, to have drugs in the room like that. So that was already an issue. But that was one of the further things from my mind. It was still more about where's the gun and making sure that it's not in a place where it can go off and hurt anybody. Um, and so as we were talking to the student trying to get him to cooperate, I pulled him to the side and I said, look, man, I'm going to level with you. This is bad. This is really, really bad. And I don't think you understand how much trouble you're actually in. So I want to talk through that with you so that you understand the gravity of the situation that you find yourself in. I think before I, I really tried to talk to him and help him understand how serious this was, I think before that, they were in a space of, yeah, we did it. We kind of, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. We're not going to tell you anything because we're not going to get in trouble for this, but whatever, it'll be fine. Um, and I think as I talked to him and helped him understand the gravity of what he was facing and that it may be better for him to cooperate um, and to talk to the officers and to be forthright about what transpired, that it may work out in his favor in the long run. I think as he began to understand the severity of the situation he found himself in, I could see his face change and I could see that he was starting to get what I was really trying to convey to him about how serious this was. And he promptly proceeded to throw up in the middle of the hallway, um, as some people do when their nerves are really on edge and they're kind of having their oh shit moment. And I think for him, he was having that moment of, damn, I've really screwed up and I don't know how I'm going to fix this. Um, and so after talking with him and talking with officers and, and gathering the information we needed, we were at the point where the officers could call to have a search warrant 
signed. Um, that took place. The search warrant was issued. The room was searched. There was a car on campus that the student's friend, who had come from Milwaukee, um, had brought with him up, and the car was searched and the gun was found um, as a result. So I was I, at that point, I, I felt so much relief. I was so glad that we had found the weapon involved and that we knew where it was and that it was secure and that nobody was in any imminent danger. Um, and from there, the rooms were searched. The students were ID'd as being the ones who took place in the robbery. And early in the wee hours of that morning, that student and his friend were taken into police custody. Um, and they were taken into police custody without further incident. There was no kicking in of doors. There was no drawing of guns. There was no throwing students around on the ground and all the kind of stuff we see on television when it comes to these instances of police doing their work. None of those things happened. Uh, we were able to get the student and his friend out of there in one piece and they went on down to the police station. Now, needless to say, this was one of the longest nights of my life. After this incident, I had to brief the entire team, including my boss and my boss's boss, about what had taken place because they had to report to the president about what had taken place. Um, and so I was, you know, up for quite a while. Um, you know, I was definitely exhausted from that ordeal and the adrenaline that I had experienced earlier, as well as the fatigue of dealing with something so serious. Um, I finally got back to my campus apartment, passed out, and I was so thankful, so, so thankful that one, nobody was seriously injured. And two, that frankly, it was over. I was so glad for that night to be over. Uh, because as I said, it was one of the longest nights of my life and frankly, quite scary to have to deal with as a, a newer hall director, a newer student affairs professional trying to build my career in this field. Um, my experience that night gave me a full understanding of the type of pressure that one faces when you're in those situations and you are incident command. Now, even though we were working together, I was working with security and we were working with Dubuque police to try to figure all of this out and figure out where the students were and make sure the campus was secure, I was still in charge of our campus. I was still responsible for anything that took place on that campus. And if the Dubuque police had barged into these rooms with guns drawn or tasers and, you know, attacked a student because they thought they needed to or was necessary it still would have been on me. And there are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I ultimately was responsible for anything that took place on our campus, regardless of who was taking the act, even if it was the Dubuque police. I would still be responsible for that because I was the professional staff member on call and it's my job to hold folks accountable when we need to, but also to make sure that we protect our students. And if anybody, I don't care who it was, if anybody ended up dead in that process, I would have had a lot of explaining to do. That is a hell of a burden for anybody to bear, especially against someone who was in my position. And because of that experience, as I watch what's happening around the country, as I watch what happens with law enforcement and people of color, particularly men of color, I am convinced 
that if I was able to work with law enforcement in this way and obtain this type of outcome, then there is no excuse for trained police officers to have the horrible results that we see them have over and over and over again. During the few years that I spent doing residence life at the collegiate level, I dealt with students who had a myriad of issues. I've been called to respond to students who were over-intoxicated, belligerent, high, depressed, anxious, victims of sexual violence and stalking, and so on. And in that time, I've never found myself needing to choke a student into submission or worse, shoot them because of their behavior. As a black woman in our society that is marrying a black man and has two young nephews, I feel it's imperative that I share what I've learned in higher education with others as a roadmap on how communities across the nation can move forward. After all, our colleges and universities are microcosms of our society at large, and all of the things that are happening on the streets are happening within the student body, especially if they're on a residential campus. My hope for this podcast is that it will give people tangible takeaways and ideas that they can put in place with haste to stop the senseless killings we've become all too accustomed to seeing on our TV screens and hopefully begin that journey to rebuilding a trust that frankly was broken a long time ago.